Welcome to Beat the Block, a podcast powered by BeatStars, the world's number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. This is a show where we go deeper than the surface and talk about the best producers and artists in the game, not just about their successes, but also the blocks, dark times, mental health, and unpaid work that comes along with it. More importantly, we find out they bounce back and turn their downsides into upsides to make a career out of doing what they love so you can too. Get ready to experience this episode of Beat the Block. What's good, everybody? It's your favorite neighborhood-friendly podcast host, Ill Brown. And this is your boy, Trox. And this is your girl, Candy. And you are once again live with the Beat the Block podcast, powered by the good folks at Beat Stars. Today's guest, super dope. I am a fan. I think all of us are fans. Really doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway, because that's what I do. You know what I'm saying? Our next guest got our start in the music business at the early age of 15, signing with the hip-hop maven Uncle Luke, who is one of my favorites, by the way. But eventually, she took her destiny of her music into her own hands, producing an engineer for the likes of Rick Ross, DJ Khaled, too many to name. Let's give a warm welcome to Tiffany Miranda. How you doing this afternoon? Hi, everybody. I'm doing great. Thank you for that amazing intro. Really appreciate it. Um, To clarify, I didn't actually wind up signing with Luke. We'll get into my story a little bit more later, but um, that was my first contract offer. Wow. See, we learn something new every day right off the bat. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Tiff, I'll go ahead and get started. First, I just want to ask, how is everything going in light of what's going on in the world? Um, 2020 hit us off with a a big bang (laughs) of craziness. So how are you holding up, you know, with the COVID stuff happening around the world, the protesting, us fighting for justice? How have you been during this time? It's been a roller coaster of emotions. Um, You know, there are a lot of positive things that have come from this. Just, you know, mainly a lot of conversations that needed to be brought to light are now being brought to light. And people have the time to really ingest that and and take action. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, But definitely being in the midst of a pandemic has been a huge challenge for everyone. And for me personally, a lot of those challenges have fallen on Um, you know, running the organization in the virtual space. But again, the positive side of that is something that, um, you know, we were looking into doing eventually in the future to be able to reach girls all over the world. And now we have that opportunity. So yeah, just, you know, like I said, it's been a roller coaster. (laughs) We've all had to make these adjustments, um, even for ourselves with the podcast and everything. So we can totally relate. Um, But I'm glad that everything is still holding up for you. I think sometimes in the midst of Tragic moments, there's always opportunity for new things to unfold. So um, it's good to see that everyone's taking advantage of that and and putting those things into practice. I'm going to start off, we're going to go back to your childhood. Um, Well, at the age of of 15, you you had a meeting with Pitbull and Uncle Luke. um, And those initial meetings, you know, led to you basically changing your life. Can you tell us what happened? Like you said, you that was like uh, with Luke, your initial contract offer. Tell us like how things even came about. So rewind even a little bit ahead of that. I started singing when I was 11 years old and found out that I could sing on a field trip 
uh, on a school bus and we were all taking turns singing. And every time they got to me and my friend, they were like, man, y'all sound good. Like you should sing again. So every time they would see me in the hallways, they'd be like, she could sing, sing something. And I remember like in the middle of classes, like, you know, just singing, you know, a whole group of crowd around. And I just loved the feeling of being able to, you know, inspire people with my voice and create a vibe. So I really fell in love with singing at age 11 and, you know, started honing my skills. And at 15, um, my mom started to manage my career. And um, we were offered our very first contract by Uncle Luke, who had Luke Records at the time. And I recall walking into the office and there was a young Cuban guy there by the name of Pitbull. And Pitbull, um, I didn't wind up signing the contract with Luke, but Pitbull was signed to Luke. And Pitbull saw very early on a lot of potential in me. And so he would take me around to different recording studios. He would come to like my school talent shows and really was like a big brother to me. And I would sing hooks for him. And I was beginning to become exposed to the music industry and in the actual recording studios. What I did find a lot of the times um, in the recording studios is it was mostly men. There were all bunch of guys, a lot of times older guys that, you know, were telling me as a young girl, you know, what I should be singing, doing, wearing, putting out into the world, how I should be representing myself. And there was just always something very early on that just didn't click with me. I'm like, you know, why is it that a grown man is telling me as a young woman who and what I should be? Like, where are the women? Like, why are there no female mentors in the room? So um, very early on, I was, uh, you know, starting to think that way. And then it also made me think differently about the artists that I love. At that time, I was listening to, you know, Maya and, you know, SWV and like all these, you know, really dope women artists. But I started thinking, I'm like, well, is it really them? Or is it the same thing that I'm experiencing where it's like, you know, male driven, a male driven um, vision, you know? So, um, you know, I continued to stick with music. It was, you know, my passion and singing and I would do talent shows and things like that. But I was starting to get really emotionally beat down by the industry and, you know, um, also facing a lot of challenges being a young girl. And, you know, there were certain men that I came across that tried to take advantage of their positions and, you know, would do things that were like inappropriate or say things that were inappropriate and try to sell me a dream. But, oh, but you have to do this if I'm going to do this for you type thing. And, you know, I just thought it was so ugly and I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe that God would give me a gift, you know, that I wasn't supposed to share with the world, you know, and have to deal with so much ugliness just to share like a beautiful gift that, you know, was God given. So I totally <laughs> understand. We we can definitely relate. Yeah. It's super dominant, you know, male driven. But I mean, I'm I'm happy now that there are women like yourself and me and you know, others that I know that there's there's tons of women that do what we do, but it's just like who's actually coming forward and using them their, their selves to represent, you know what I'm saying? That space is, is just, I'm glad to see that it's more, but we need to normalize it, you know? So that's, that's really important. We're going to get more into those aspects of your story as, as we go along in this interview, but I wanted to um, talk about like when you met Uncle Luke he started an entire movement, and I know that you know your your exposure to him and Pitbull since Pitbull was signed to him, that definitely exposed you to the industry at, at the age of fifteen. But can you tell us like how you were inspired from that particular moment, or did you know that 
from that particular moment, you were inspired to make your own wave because Luke had his own thing. Like he is his own entity. <laughs> um, so can you tell us like if that inspired you to make your own wave? Because Girls Make Beats is a, is a totally different thing. When, when I met you a couple years ago, I'm like, whoa, that's why I was really diligent in emailing and popping up because I'm like, this is a whole new wave. So tell us how yeah, that inspired. I can't say that I can relate it to one particular artist, um, but what really create what really inspired me to create Girls Make Beats was more so a collective of um, challenges that I experienced. And, um, you know, I wanted to create a space for young girls to be able to explore these really powerful positions, like being the music producer in the room, being the engineer, you know, being in charge of the session, you know, these really awesome leadership roles that women typically weren't, you know, exposed to or doing. Um, so collectively, I would say it was more so um, my challenges and, and those experiences that led me to creating Girls Make Beats. Can you describe like the early years of producing and engineering? How were you able to balance dealing with the mental things that we have to go through, um, being in a male dominant industry, showing up at the studio? I kind of have like the same type of story with my mom taking me from school to the studio. That was typically what I did after after school every day, being in a room full of men, being there all night or however late it was to, to get it done. Then, you know. Once I got old enough to get a job, also throwing in working a job if, if that was necessary. How were you able to balance all of that? Like, what was your mentality at that time to get it all done? I got to say it was pure drive because I was um, also balancing having a nine to five, you know, in between customers. I was studying and working and getting my Pro Tools certification. And right after I would leave work, a lot of times that was followed by very strict regimen of practicing piano for two or three hours. And then until I got that call for the studio, because, you know, the studio runs a little late night. And then I'd be in the studio anywhere from 8 to 10 p.m. at night all the way till sometimes 3, 4, 5 in the morning and then turn around and go right back to work and start all over again. And I did that for many years. Um, but again, I, I think it was just my overall drive. Like I knew this is what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to, um, you know, allow any excuses to stand in the way. Um, you know, I know a lot of times we we're limited on our time, but I feel like if, if you really want something bad enough, you'll find the time, you'll make the time for it. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, let's transition a little bit. Uh, you eventually got a job as an engineer. Would you say it was a big turning point for you as far as your career goes? Absolutely. My first job as an engineer was a huge deal to me, at least as an in-house engineer, because uh, just rewind a little bit when I you know, realized that I wanted to have more creative control over my music. I got into music production, so I saved up, got a keyboard. Um, saved up, got a mic, wanted some speakers. Eventually, before I knew it, I was building my own home studio and working with local clients um, from my home studio and was really exposed to how engineering could be a career avenue for me. Um, and I was actually, you know, being able to generate income and everything through it and meet some cool people. So I started doing internships at recording studios in Miami and very quickly learned that, you know, there weren't any other women that were engineering at the time. Again, went through a lot of challenges and, and kind of um, faced a lot of biases because of the fact that I was a girl. So, you know, there was experiences where I was interning and guys who were coming in after me, whether they were high, late, whatever, they weren't there as long as I was, they were getting opportunities to sit in on these sessions that I wasn't. So I 
quickly left that internship and kept my nose to the grind and continued to just be a fly on the wall at every recording session I could be at. Um, and then there was one particular studio that called me and gave me my first job as an in-house engineer. Uh, and it was Sobe Swag Labs. They basically were like, look, Tiff, you're here all the time. You come to all the events. You're always, you know, because they would do events at the studio as well. You're here all the, like, literally at every session and you're dope. Like we want to give you, give you an opportunity to be an engineer. So that was a pretty groundbreaking um, moment for me and helped me like transcend my opportunities into being taken seriously as an engineer and working with some awesome artists. Um, And also reconnecting with some folks that I had worked with in my um, previous years as a singer, but now as an engineer. So it's pretty dope. It's real dope. Awesome. That's real dope. Speaking of Sobe Swag Labs, you had a session with Cool and Dre and Pitbull. Mm-hmm. Describe what happened. So basically, my sessions with them weren't actually at Sobe Swag Labs. What happened was um, I was working at Sobe Swag Labs and quickly became one of the top engineers there. And one of the first clients that they gave me, um, like a big client, was uh, um, the guitar player from Aventura. He was a bachata guitar player, but he was working very heavily with Mr. 305 Inc. So he was like, you know what, you're really dope. And it was funny because my first experience with him wasn't so great. He was actually um, one of the ones that made me really push myself because as a bachata player, like they're like doing these guitar riffs and you got to like track them really, really fast. So I remember our first session, he was like, oh, um, speed it up. You're too slow. You're too slow. And like the next day, I didn't sleep that night. I like studied every quick key I could well, even while I was at work. And the next day when I went back for another session with him, I was so ready for him to the point where I was like, are you ready? Are you ready? And he was like, I like her. I want her to be my engineer. So um, he um, helped bridge the gap to Mr. 305 Inc. Because like I said, he was doing a lot of work with them. And they had an artist named Fuego. Fuego also came in and worked with me at Sobe. And he was like, yo, you're so dope. Like, I want you to come be my engineer. And they hired me like upfront for a year just to work on his project. And so I ended up at uh, Mr. 305 Inc. And while I was there, just, you know, kind of you know, how the world works is kind of a snowball effect. <laughs> so I, I used to sing hooks for, for Cool and Dre when I was like 15, 16, then kind of lost connection with them. And then when I got into engineering, um, my mom was at the gym or something and found out like, was talking with somebody. She's like really social. And she was like, they were like, oh yeah. And she was like, my daughter sings and did, she engineers and does all this stuff. And like, oh, my cousins are Cool and Dre. And she's like, what? Like she used to work with them. So we got reconnected again. And then they were like, oh, so, you know, I heard you engineering now, like you over at Pit Spot, like, are you any good? And I was like, I can show you better than I can tell you. So I was like, let's go. So we did a session. They were really impressed. Um, so much so that Dre winded up making me his personal engineer for about six months or so. And um, in working with Dre, I had the opportunity and, and at a Cool and Dre studio record room, I was able to um, engineer for like Fat Joe and then Dre would call me over to Khaled's spot because Khaled also had a studio. We the best studios in Miami. And so I would go there. And then that kind of just organically turned into me tracking vocals for Khaled and Ace Hood. And, you know, eventually I got the call from Ross. He needed an engineer at his spot. So it started to work like the Miami scene and, you know, re- really be able to grow my uh, resume from there, Miami. And then in moving to L.A., I've also engineered for French Montana, T.I., Uzi, plethora of guys out here so it's it's been really dope nice nice it's funny how all that works right yo what up il brown 
I'm thinking of signing up for BeatStars. What's your experience like? Man, bro, BeatStars came through for me at a tough time, man. Uh, of course, the industry is much different now. It gave me a platform where I didn't have to build my own website, and I was able to upload my beats and sell them and engage with the community, man. I had a crazy first month, man. Did like 4K in sales. Wow. And I've been a fan and a member of BeatStars ever since. Sign up on BeatStars to start making money with your beats. Go to bit.ly slash beattheblock1. Again, that's bit.ly slash beattheblock1. Peace. So take us back to when you first started Girls Make Beats. What did you have to do to get that off the ground? Oh, my God. <laughs> I literally, to this day, like, I, I get, like, goosebumps seeing how far the organization has come. Because when I initially started, um, you know, again, having no budget, and uh, I borrowed my sister's credit card to get, like, one laptop, one beat machine and tractor at the time. And um, I would do these presentations at schools for like career days and things like that. Sometimes with 25, 30 kids at a time, you know, this one unit. So like I had to get really creative, bring a lot of candy, you know, make Jeopardy games out of it and, and just make sure that the kids were having fun and staying engaged. Um, even though we had the la- there was a lack of equipment and resources, a lot of the initial even promotion for getting kids to sign up was you know boots on the ground, like going from school to school trying to set up meetings with the principals and you know doing presentations during the lunch hour and getting kids to sign up and then going back and doing interviews and then implementing the classes whether it was during school or after school. Um, but I remember initially reaching out to manufacturers manufacturers at this very early stage and didn't get much of a response or if I did it was a no or not at this time and luckily one day uh, a friend of, of mine um, who also has like a Pro Tools training program um, we were talking about NAM, and I was like man I would really love to go to NAM. that would be like a dream come true and he's like oh really I can make that happen I have passes every year and I was like what so me and my sister um, flew out to LA I was living in Miami at the time and went to Nam, and I say, you know, we like shook a lot of hands and kissed a lot of babies. We went to every booth and we showed them all the pictures of everything that we did with one. And we were like, imagine if you guys helped us and we could do this with more, how many more kids we could reach and help. And so that way we started building relationships with the brands and they were all about it. And they were able to visualize exactly what it is that we were doing. Cause it was no longer just like, this is what we want to do. It was like, this is what we're doing. Like, do you want to be a part of it? So um, that was a huge move for the organization. And um, over the years, just it's been continuously growing. I think moving out to L.A. was a huge benefit. Um, uh, and it was a scary move, but probably one of the best moves I could have done for myself and for the organization. Um, because since we've been out here, like the, the, it's like insane. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, today I have a call with essence and ford and youtube and netflix and like basically it's still mind-blowing we're doing an event with apple or like all this crazy like stuff yeah it's it's like literally still surreal to me when i look at like even my calendar (laughs) you know even earlier today i had a call and they're like we want your girls for another facebook event they just did a facebook event last week they're doing essence tomorrow it's it's like insane so um and then on top of that the music community has been really supportive um we've been receiving so much support we just launched a master class online we've had co-president of rock nation omar grant on there we've had grammy winning producers engineers all wanting to give back 
Um, and then we've had all, all kinds of uh, really interesting opportunities with recording artists and everything. So it's been awesome. We just had Janelle Monet in our online TV show. We have Chloe and Hallie coming up on Monday. Like, it's insane. It's like literally insane thinking of where the organization started to where it is today. It's like you're doing something crazy every day. And that's just it's just <laughs> so inspiring to see. Um, so you were really smart in building Girls Make Beats. You started off from school fairs that said no initially and then getting big names and sponsors. Uh, how do you take those new opportunities to keep leveling up what you were doing in the first place? Again, like I mentioned, the snowball effect is really important. And I've become very strategic and knowing how to leverage that. Um, so it, it's almost like to the point where, you know, uh, we, we garner support and we're like, well, why aren't you supporting? And why aren't are, you don't want to support our amazing young girls that are, you know, we're trying to empower, you know, so it's like it becomes a snowball effect of like getting, you know, different individuals and companies involved and things like that. And, and like I said, um, because of the pandemic, it's also been, you know, unique space for us to explore engaging brands in a different way and artists in a different way. So been good. that's awesome. That's really awesome. It's all great work to me. Thank you. So I have a couple of questions because I feel like the most important thing about your organization is starting young girls out young, having a role model that's a woman and, and not a man, just like you and I both have experienced, but also, you know, so that they can, they, the representation can just be normalized. Like right. we have interviews with mostly men and, and I said, you know what, we got to get more women on this. That's why I reached out to you. I'm like, I know other women, they have to be on this, on this podcast, but even still with interviewing men, it's almost like they still have this most, I'm not going to say all, but most have this stigmatism in their mind that producing and engineering is a man's job almost like taking the trash out or right <laughs> working it, it's like you're not supposed to be doing that I'm like it's no heavy lifting like this is all mine and creative power I just don't really understand it but are you still facing like challenges with dealing with that I mean you have a whole organization for girls so when you walk in the studios or if you're working with people, and I know that you've worked with countless people, um, but do you still kind of face running into those issues? I mean, I will say most of my life has, is now dedicated to the organization, like overtime and full-time, like overtime job. So luckily my experiences have like transitioned into a much more positive space. But again, the reason I created the organization is that very reason is because when I would walk in as an individual, as a woman, you know, it was very hard to be taken seriously. There were times where I go to beat battles and I look around the room and I'm like, there are no other girls here. Sausage parties. That's what I call them. <laughs> I'm like, where are the women? And shout out to, you know, I standard too, because they had me um, do a nice uh, presentation about the organization in front of all of those men and talk about how important it is to empower our girls, their daughters, sisters, mothers, whatever, you know, and, and create a space for them to be comfortable too. I was just very fortunate, I think, in my skin that A, I had a strong support system, you know, um, 
to, to help me get through that. So uh, my mom, my sister, my dad, they were super supportive. And then I have two brothers. So I always was the one that wanted to like tag along with my big brother. So I was always around guys all the time anyway. And I wasn't really a tomboy, but I wasn't like super, you know, quote unquote, you know, girly, whatever that means. But um, I was already used to like hanging out with the guys all the time. So I was comfortable, but I know we do a lot of um, interviews with our girls ages you know, seven to 17 across the U.S. We've done these interviews. And every time we ask the question to the girls, why do they think there are so few women? And it's always like, oh, well, because boys are thought to have been better or we don't get the same opportunities. And I mean, this is in all different walks of life all over the nation, you know, girls that feel that this is the way the world interprets them because they're female. And it's crazy. And like, to me, I'm so passionate about helping to change that narrative. And I thank you for that. Like, that is so important. I think is, I mean, it's important for you and I both. So kudos to Girls Make Beats because I'm, I'm glad that I ran into you. Another question that I had is how do you see um, the turnover with, well, here's another question because you deal with a lot of young girls. And I think another big mm-hmm. thing that we all face, even the guys that's on this podcast, is trying to start a career in music or even get exposed to it at a young age. You have your family members and friends and people you're surrounded by that aren't supportive because it's not a traditional career. Right. Um, it's just an activity. You know, it's just something to do when you're young. They don't see it as you actually growing it into a career and making money. So how, how do you deal with that when you deal with like the parents or, you know, even even the girls as far as transitioning and, and making that a long-term career? In my personal experience, again, I was super, um, you know, uh, privileged to have the support of my parents, but we have had, you know, certain parents that kind of had their reservations about their child doing this as, uh, you know, for a living. And our most important thing to them really is, you know, at the core of everything we do with our foundation, even though we are teaching production, we are teaching engineering, we are teaching DJing, the most important thing that we teach is life skills and confidence. So, you know, the parents at the end of the day are always able to appreciate that, even if they're like, oh, yeah, well, my daughter's just doing this for fun after school, but she's really going to go be a, a scientist or, you know, whatever. As long as they're leaving with that core thing, we've done our job. You know, if they decide we've had little girls that joined our program that are, you know, um, we have a, a nine year old, uh, Mac 10. She's so cute. She was just doing an interview and they asked her well, you're learning all these cool skills. You're learning how to be a DJ and a producer. What do you think you want to do with this when you grow up? And she literally all in one breath said, "Mm, I'll probably DJ parties. And then when I grow up, I'll be the first female black president of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) That's confidence. So it's just instilling that mindset that you can do whatever you put your mind to, even if it was previously people who weren't your color or your gender or your age or whatever, you know, like breaking down those stigmas. And that's really the most important part of our job. I love it. So how can people be better supporters and allies for your organization? Um, So there are different ways that you can get involved with our organization. A, if you have a a young girl who's interested, um, we always have scholarship opportunities and things like that that we're um, trying to provide for our girls. Um, So you can go to girlsmakebeats.org slash register to register them. Right now, we actually extended the age range. It was um, 7 to 17. Now it's 5 to 17. 
Um, so we're implementing like a garage band curriculum for the younger girls. And if somebody's interested in volunteering, we have volunteering opportunities as well, mostly for live events and things like that when the world opens back up. But we are also actively seeking um, instructors for those who are also in the music industry that, uh, you know, have you know, successes that they can share and, and knowledge that they can share with the girls. We have our masterclass series, um, which we're always taking presenters in for that. Like I said, we've had a pretty awesome team of presenters recently, and we're planning on continuing to keep that going. Um, and then also donating. Again, most of our efforts are for, it's for girls, but we specifically are very passionate about creating opportunities for girls in underserved communities that otherwise would not be able to afford opportunities like this. So scholarships are a big thing um, on how we operate, and those are made possible by the kindness of donations and sponsorship support and corporate support. So those are also um, ways that people can get involved and uh, can donate at girlsmakebeats.org slash donate. Amazing, amazing. We have this thing we do on this podcast uh, all of our guests usually have some very funny stories in the studio. You're not exempt. <laughs> Please tell us some some right. funny that stuck with you uh, throughout throughout your experiences. Well, this is funny slash inspirational slash embarrassing. I <laughs> I recall a session I had, and I had been working with Dre, you know, for a while, being his engineer, and he was like hyping me up. We were at Khaled's spot and he was like, no, nah, my engineer is so dope. She's so fast. He ain't going to be ready for her. Like he was like digging me up. And I was like, you know, really feeling myself. And I go into the B room and the B room was like completely like dismantled. Apparently there was an artist in there prior that decided they didn't want to use the recording booth in there. So they had rewired it to the console. And I'm like freaking out, trying to get a signal. And, and mind you, Dre is saying all of this to French Montana and DJ Mustard. And so that was supposed to be, oh, and Mavado, who's one of my favorite uh, artists. So it was supposed to be like this epic session. And I'm freaking out because I couldn't get the signal for the mic to work. And so I'm calling up their, you know, head engineer, uh, which was Ben Billions at the time. And I'm like, yo, Ben, like, how do I wire this right now? Like, they're all here and they're waiting on me. And, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not there. I can't help you out. Like, that room's a little tricky. Like, you know, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to figure it out. So I'm sitting there, like, trying to wire stuff. And then I patched something into um, the patch bay. And there was, like, this huge loud sound. And, like, all of them just look at me like, <laughs> what the hell was that? And I'm, like, literally about to cry. And they're like, no, we're good. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll call you later. And I was like, I literally left that session, like, crying. Like, they're never going to call me again. Oh, my God. I can't believe I couldn't figure it out. And the next day they called. But, you know, it was definitely one of those experiences that, like, stuck with me. And, you know, I I always kind of laugh at it. But it was also, you know, a little embarrassing. Those teachable moments. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. So if you could go back in time to the 15-year-old Tiffany, you know, right before, you know, Mean Luke and Pitbull and all that cool stuff, before your music career took off, what would you say to 15-year-old Tiffany? Like, hey, 15-year-old Tiffany, uh... Do this so you won't go through this and all that cool stuff. You know what I'm saying? I would say to my 15-year-old self, you're a boss. Know it and own it. And it took me a really long time to discover that. Um, But, you know, it's a huge thing that we try to instill in our girls from an early age. And had I been able to um, embrace that earlier on, I think, you know, I would have been able to navigate a little better without, you know, 
feeling like I have to allow somebody else to be the boss. Like, I, I really wish I would have believed more in my inner boss. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> believe in your inner boss for everybody that's listening. I like that. I like your inner boss. I like that. So, Tiffany, you've accomplished a lot. You've done quite a bit in your life. What can we look forward to? What, what more can we look forward to regarding your organization or your own stuff, your, your career? So um, the organization is literally at the heart of everything that I do. So a lot of, you know, my personal projects have been put on the back burner, but I'm definitely working on bringing those out to light and releasing an album with hopefully my girls producing it. You know, I think that that was the missing puzzle and why I didn't create a lot of or or put out a lot of the content because I feel like they're supposed to be a part of that story. Um, So definitely that's coming. And then as far as the organization, um, the organization Girls Make Beats, it's a movement. You know, this is something that's going to transcend beyond my lifetime. It's going to be like a Girl Scouts, like 50, 60 years from now. You're like, oh, you were Girls Make Beats this year. I was Girls Make Beats this year. And like, just build like this huge movement and sisterhood of girls all over the world. Like, so excited today. Um, We had our uh, acceptance call for the scholarships for our new students. And we just welcomed 15 girls And some of which are, you know, in Atlanta, New York, Vegas, L.A., Miami, and we even have a girl in London that's going to start with us. So, like, that to me is, like, so dope, like, having that international connect and and reach, you know. So, definitely making Girls Make Beats a global movement. That's awesome. That's just, it's so inspiring to see something It is. I wish it was around when I was coming. Thank you. (laughs) We had to learn the hard way and go through all the humps and the bumps and all of that. I try to tell them. I know. I'm like, uh, when I was first learning, I'm self-taught as an engineer and eventually got my certification in Pro Tools. But when I first started learning and had the interest to learn, YouTube wasn't even around. Mm. Kind of aging myself, but YouTube wasn't around. Like I would take the bus on Kendall Drive to 88 on 88th Street down to the Barnes and Nobles to read the Pro Tools 6 book. And like take notes and look over my shoulder and make sure like, oh, I hope they don't kick me out because I can't afford to pay for this $50 book. Wow. And, and go visit my equipment at Guitar Center. I would like go right. visit it. <laughs> we yeah. all did that. <laughs> How you doing? Check, check up on the equipment. Make sure yeah. that model is still there. Right, like. right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. And it is inspiring. Let people know where they can find you and find Girls Make Beats online. Yeah, so my personal um, IG is Tiffany Delila Miranda. I know it's long. I'm Puerto Rican. So it's Tiffany Delila Miranda. And then for Girls Make Beats is at Girls Make Beats. So be sure to follow us on the gram. Um, definitely you can find out even more information about all the awesome things we're doing with these girls at girlsmakebeats.org. Wonderful, wonderful. We appreciate you for coming on. It's definitely Friday. We're all busy. Got a whole bunch of stuff planned, even through the quarantine. So we're going to get out of here. Make sure you guys follow those platforms on social media. I am extremely excited for you know to gain more knowledge about Girls Makes Beat. That, that, that is so amazing. So with that being said, that's our time for the day. We're going to get up out of here. I'm your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Il Brown. And this is Trox. And this is your girl, Candy. We'll catch you on the next episode. Index in the middle finger pointed to the sky right in your face. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Beat the Block. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps the show a lot. See you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.